Uh, allow me to start by telling you how I would introduce myself. If, if I met an old man from my tribe, a really old man from my tribe, and, and they asked me, what's your name? I would say Barak. And immediately he would say to me, that's not a name. What's your name? And then I would tell them my second name. And they would say, that's your father's name. What's your name? And I would tell them maybe my tribal name, and they would say, that's the time of day you were born. What's your name? Then I tell them my name. And they'd say, okay, okay. Now I know who you are. I know who your father is. And I know what time of day you were born. Where are you from? And then I tell them where I'm from. And from me introducing myself to him, he would simply tell me, if, if he is from my tribe, he would not only say who I am, he would tell me who my father is, he would tell me what clan I come from, he would tell me about the village I come from, he would tell me about the people in my tribe, in my community. In me introducing myself to this old man, he would say, not only do I know you, you belong, you are one of us, you matter. That's who you are. But when I say to you, my name is Barak, it means nothing. It's just an identifier. It's just a way you can call out to me. It has no impact on you. you. You do not know who carried that name before me, and you do not understand why I carry that name with pride. It's just a name. But why do I tell you this? You see, Matthew, as he starts the gospel of Matthew, he, he is starting it in an extremely targeted way. He's writing to a group of people who actually know and understand the importance of the names that he is writing. To most of us, these are just names that appear in the first, book of, of, in the first chapter of Matthew. They're just names that most of us actually skip over so that we can get to the juicy part of Matthew. And we forget that the reason that Matthew has included all these names here is important to us. They are just names. They mean absolutely nothing. But to the listeners of Matthew, to the people who Matthew was writing to, to the Jews who were seated reading this gospel for the very first time, this meant everything. Matthew is starting this gospel this way. He's saying to his audience, this is the genealogy of the heir to the throne of David. This is the king, the son of David, the one who had been promised, the one who you have been waiting for. If Matthew was Nigerian, he would have said that his name is Adeboale, meaning the king has returned home. That's what Matthew is declaring right at the beginning, that Jesus is not an imposter Jesus is not a fake. Jesus has not been fabricated. Jesus did not appear out of nowhere. He belongs. You guys know these names. You guys know the history behind these names. You know this king. You have been waiting for this king to come. And now he is here. For those of us who are not Jews which I'm assuming is most of us, if not all of us, these are just a bunch of names. I want you to notice this, however. They are the reason why Matthew writes the genealogy of Jesus Christ is because they are very specific promises made in the Old Testament concerning the lineage through which Jesus would come, through which the Messiah would come, and, and Matthew is proving to them that each and every single promise made is going to be fulfilled. 
And so as we read chapter 1 of Matthew, we're going to see how he tells us three particular aspects about this king. He says, uh, he lets us know about the king's throne, he lets us know about the king's work, and then he lets us know what the king's title is or shall be. Let us pray as we get right into it. Dear Father, I thank you for this amazing opportunity you've given me to stand before your people to open up your word for your glory. Lord, I pray that you will prepare our hearts to hear from you, Lord. The Lord, not only will we hear, but Lord, you will give us the ability to do what we learn today, the courage to follow through with what your word commands us to do, Lord. Lord, I pray uh, that you will encourage us through your word today. Lord, I also pray for myself that you would give me the courage to step out of the way and allow your Holy Spirit to minister to your people for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. First, let's start with the king's throne. Matthew starts by introducing Jesus, but first he starts by mentioning David and Abraham. Notice, however, that even though Abraham comes before David, this is how Matthew chooses to start. He says, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You may have come uh, from cultures that encourage you to come out from, from under the shadow of your parents. Cultures that, that encourage you to, to make your own name and, and distance yourself from the names of others. Well, in other cultures, however, who your father is is as important or even more important than who you are. In those cultures, names such as Bin, Ibn, Abu, Wood, Ole, Kip are attached to your names to remind you who your father is or, or who your son is. Your very name tells you where you're from or, or what destiny you're there to fulfill. And, and that is how Matthew chooses to start this book. He starts by mentioning two people in particular, Abraham and David. He says, son of David. Throughout this book, Matthew presents Jesus as, as a kingly Messiah promised from David's royal line. And where do we find that in scripture? Well, th these are the promises God himself has made to David. He says in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12, when your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, this is God himself speaking, I will rise up your descendant after you who will come forth from you and I, God, I will establish his kingdom. Psalm 89 verse 3, you have said I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Psalm 132 verse 11, the Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. This is God himself speaking. And, and you could be thinking to yourself, well, David had a hand, may have had a hand in how Samuel was written. He, he may have had a hand in how Psalms were written. After all, he wrote most of the, the Psalms. So he has a vested interest in all this. Well, if you look at Genesis, before David comes into the picture, before Samuel comes into the picture, this is what we see. The Bible tells us that the scepter will not depart from Judah, Genesis chapter 49. And so Matthew's audience knows right there that the Messiah must come from the line of Judah. And we know through the gospel of Luke and we know through the gospel of Matthew that both Joseph and Mary are descendants of Judah. That's why to date we still call Jesus Christ the lion of the tribe of Judah. 
So he is proving it even before David comes into the picture. And we know that David also comes from the tribe of Judah as well. Matthew, right from the beginning, wants his listeners to remember the promise that God made to David and to know that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that particular promise. That Jesus is the returning king, the heir to the throne. But notice that Matthew also calls Jesus the son of Abraham. So let's take a moment and and look at the promises that God made to Abraham in particular. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, it says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Genesis 22, verse 18, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice, all the nations of the earth. These promises were made to David and to Abraham. And since Matthew's motive is to prove that Jesus Christ is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament, he lists these two men first. If Jesus had come out of nowhere, there would probably be more than just a little bit of suspicion as to who he is. Where is he from? If he just showed up and said, I am Jesus Christ, the Messiah, guys would be like, who are you? But Matthew starts off by listing his credentials. Matthew skillfully takes the time to write to the Jew and confirm to the identity of this king. He wants them to know that Jesus Christ is the rightful heir to the throne of David. But Matthew also includes you and I right at the beginning. At his very introduction, he says, just by calling Jesus the son of Abraham, he says to you and I that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise that God made to Abraham, that through Jesus Christ, every nation on earth, all families of the earth shall be blessed. The outsider becomes the insider. Take comfort in this, that your salvation was not a by the way. It was not a mistake. It was not a fluke. God, right from the very beginning, planned for you, included you, thought of you, and wanted you so much so that he sent his son. You might be listening to this today and thinking to yourself, well, Barak, this genealogy is not even accurate. Why should we believe this? Anyone Anyone could have come up with a bunch of names and shoved them together. I mean, if Anna Sorokin could do it, why not this list from the Bible? Could it be that Matthew is inventing Jesus? See, here's a problem with that argument. There are actually three problems with that argument. And I'll tell you all three. The first one is this. You see, when anyone... Anyone decided to actually take the story of Anna Sorokin and and peer into it just a bit more and dig deep into who he was saying she who she was saying she was? The, the first time someone did that, the whole thing fell apart. Generation after generation has done that to Jesus, and he still holds strong to all the scrutiny. He does not fall apart. He still remains the heir of the throne of David. Secondly, 
See, today there are many companies that, that, that make millions out of the, the idea of you giving them a sample of your DNA so that they can look through your ancestry, ancestry.com, all these things. And, and they're making a killing because all of us desire to know where we are from. The desire of, of just knowing where your ancestry is and who is who came before you. Do I come for, from greatness? Who am I? Where do I come from? We all desire to know that, well, the original data bank of all this, the original idea, Idea because that's not a new idea. The original idea of all this was actually found in the temple in Jerusalem. In the temple in Jerusalem, if you were born uh, in Israel, if you were a child of, of any Jew, you could go with your name and say, this is my father's name. I'd like to know my genealogy, and they would give you your whole genealogy. What Matthew does here to the original listener, because remember who he's writing to. Matthew knows that anyone who was listening to him could actually take this list, walk into the temple in Jerusalem and say, can you verify this? And the greatest evidence we have that the genealogy is accurate is actually this, that there is no record in all of history, whether from theologians or from historians, any Jewish theologian or any Jewish historian who has actually come up and said, this genealogy is actually inaccurate. None whatsoever. Up until AD 70, no historian has said that. Now, the reason I mention AD 70 is because in AD 70, the whole temple is destroyed and the Romans destroy the temple. And so after that, there is no way of verifying it. But before then, historians and theologians who wrote, none of them dispute this. Third and lastly, this genealogy is actually quite embarrassing. If it was going to be fabricated, then the writer might as well skipped the names of those who may have tarnished the name of the Messiah. But in this record, we see even the shameful, the liars, the broken and the sinful. We see the prostitutes and those who pretended to be prostitutes. We also see those who paid for prostitutes. And we see the children of those prostitutes included in this genealogy. We see the, the liar and we see the adulterer. We see those who have done unspeakable things included in this genealogy. Jesus Christ is not ashamed of his ancestors or to be associated with sinners. Also, if any of you struggle with the thought of generational curses, please take the time to study the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Because if ever there was a case against that particular teaching, it is a close look at the genealogy of Jesus Christ, at his own ancestry. The mistakes and choices of his ancestors do not have an impact on the life of Jesus Christ. What makes you think that you are so special that because your grandfather went to see a witch doctor somewhere, that now your life is cursed? He who the sun sets free is free indeed. You are free in Jesus Christ. Matthew finishes the genealogy of Jesus Christ with these words in verse 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon were 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to Jesus Christ are 14 generations. This is how he has built the case so far. From Abraham to David, we actually see the kingdom being established. They're moving from a people who are just roaming around, and then we see over time the kingdom becoming this great and mighty kingdom under David. Then from David to, to Josiah, we see the decline of the kingdom. We see just 
gradually falling apart. We see king after king making horrible and horrible mistakes, and we see the kingdom just falling apart. And by the time we get to Jeconiah, to Jesus, we actually see the, the destruction of the kingdom completely. It's completely gone until Jesus arrives. Uh, so by the time Jesus gets into the picture, we, we know that Jesus Christ is the heir to the throne, but there is no kingdom. So why did he come? Well, Matthew tells us about the king's work. From verse 18, he says, Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. See, coming from Christmas, the birth of Jesus Christ is still fresh in our minds. We sang songs about it, we celebrated it, we even had little nativity scenes and Christmas trees still up in our homes. I I hope they're coming down soon. (laughs) (laughs) However, Matthew is more concerned about the conception of Jesus than he is about his birth. As far as we know, other than being born amongst animals, his literal birth was just normal. There was nothing miraculous about it. The scripture doesn't say there was anything miraculous about that. However, his conception, though, that was a true miracle. Matthew begins with with this heading. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. And then he proceeds to tell us the whole story, not only of how Jesus was born, but of his miraculous and marvelous conception. Matthew tells us that at a time when Mary was betrothed to Joseph, at the time before they had come together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Some of us find this to be the most unbelievable thing in the whole of the Bible. Actually, most people struggle with this the most. One of my childhood friends is actually an atheist, and this is the one thing he constantly laughs at me for. He actually says, how can a free-thinking adult believe that a virgin got pregnant? How is that possible? See, it's fascinating, absolutely fascinating, that Matthew does not take the time to defend the virgin birth. Instead, he actually works really, really, really hard to affirm it. Because again, remember who he is writing to. These are people who have heard this same prophecy over and over and over again. They know this story and they are expecting it to us. It is absolutely unexpected to them. They have been waiting for it to happen this way. In fact, the people who may have struggled the most with this is Joseph and Mary. We actually have a clip of Joseph hearing the news for the first time and it's coming up now. just for you. Where did you get this? I baked it from scratch. We don't have an oven. God helped me. Joseph, please. You see how that sounds, Mary? (laughs) 
See, from the way the story is written in the Gospel of Matthew, we could guess, we could actually guess, or we could infer that Mary did not even tell Joseph that it was an immaculate conception. All we know is that it, it actually took an angel of the Lord to come and tell Joseph and explain the whole thing to Joseph. Allow me, before we continue so much further, allow me to sidetrack for a second, and, and I promise we'll come back to this in a short while. There is great joy in expecting a baby. There, there is great joy in that. When my wife and I found out we were pregnant about five years ago with our first child, there, there was a sense of joy that we had, but also there was a sense of fear in my heart, a sense of what kind of father would I be? And so I took time to study fathers in scripture. And Joseph was one of the fathers I studied. I studied. And, and let me take this opportunity to encourage parents and those who aspire to be parents one day. See, from studying Joseph, I learned that God chooses parents for children. Yes, a child is a blessing to the parent, but the parent is also a blessing to the child. God chose Mary and Joseph specifically for them to be the parents who are entrusted with Jesus, entrusted with God's own son. Parents, God has chosen you to be faithful stewards of the blessing of children. He has trusted you, and for some of you, you could think you are not fit to be a parent, or you are not fit to be able to be a good parent. But let me let you know this, that the same one who has given you a child is able to give you the ability to be a great parent. Go back to him in prayer and ask him to teach you how to be a parent in a way that will honor him and honor the gift of a child that he has given you. Amen? Anyway, Matthew tells us that Joseph was literally a righteous man, which indicates that he was a man who was concerned with doing what was in keeping with God's law. Joseph was a just man, which suggests that Joseph was a merciful man also. And so not wishing, not wishing to, to, to put the woman he loved to public shame, he made up his mind quietly and privately to, to end the engagement and, and divorce her privately. But that is when the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. And the Bible says, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Again, the angel of the Lord reminds us of the king's throne. Because as he addresses Joseph, he says to Joseph, son of David. He's reminding us again that Jesus, even though he's not a child of, of Joseph directly, Joseph is the legal heir. And so Jesus being adopted by Joseph, he's also the legal heir of the throne of David. And the, and the angel says these words, this, this beautiful words that had me stuck in this particular passage of scripture for a very long time. I spent weeks on this one verse only. I was just stuck on this. This words gives us the idea of not only Jesus, the king's work, it gives us the king's job description. It gives us the king's plan of action. It gives us the king's reason for being. Because remember again, we, we remember that there's no kingdom. So why is the king coming? And we read these words in Matthew chapter 1 verse 21. And let's us read them all together. She will bear a son, and you shall call him named Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You shall name him Jesus, the salvation of Yahweh. That's what Jesus means. Not only that, but the angel also defines exactly what Jesus is coming to save us from. 
for he will save his people from their sins. Matthew captures in one verse the very essence of why Jesus came, why the king was being born. He will come as a savior and to save his people from their sins. The the description of the work of Jesus Christ reminds us that Jesus meets us in our sins But his purpose is to save us from our sins. He will save us from the penalty of sin. He saves us from the power of sin. And he saves us from the presence of sin. The people in the time had been waiting for a liberator. Someone to bring them from colonial power. Someone to reestablish this kingdom that had fallen to shambles. That is what they were waiting for. That's who they were desiring the king to be. But in this one simple verse, in this one verse, Matthew redefines all the expectations. The king is not coming to save you from temporary oppression. The king is coming to deliver everyone from eternal oppression. The king is not here to break the bondage of Roman occupation. The king is here to break the bondage of sin over your life. Matthew chapter 1 verse 21. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. There is a slight change in words that appears in Matthew chapter 1 verse 21. It's just one word but it makes the world of a difference. It says his people. Not God's people but his people. See, the reason why that distinction is so important is this. See, as you read through the Old Testament, every time you see God's people appearing, we know he's talking about the children of Israel. So had we come into Matthew chapter 1, verse 21 and read God's people, there could be those who could have argued that, well, the gospel is only for a reserved few. But when it says his people, Matthew is actually calling us back to the promises made to Abraham. The promises made to Abraham were this, that through your descendant, all the nations of the earth, all the families of the earth, that's the definition of who his people are. So Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 says, She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people. It includes you and I right there because we are reminded that he is here for his people and that's what you are. In Ephesians We are reminded again, and God reminds us that we may not have qualified to be God's people, but because of what Jesus has done, we are able to have a leg to stand on. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13 and 14 puts it this way, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Are you there thinking to yourself that you're not good enough for God? You're not worse off than some of his, the people on his lineage, and he does not distance himself from them. You're not worse off than the people he spent the most of his time with, here on earth, and he did not disqualify them. You are not worse off than all the sin of mankind, and he took it upon himself on the cross, and he paid the ultimate price. His name is Jesus, and he has saved his people from their sins. What better way to start the year than to actually submit to this king who has paid the ultimate price for your sins? 
Oh, what pain it is to carry on through this year, carrying the burden of your sins, when Jesus Christ himself, his work as your Lord and Savior, is to save you from your sins. What better way to start the year than to submit to him and say, you're not only the king, but you're my king also. Then we get to the king's title. Because it's not just enough for us to know that he's the heir of the throne. It's not just enough for us to know that he has a work to do and this is the king's work, but also he has a beautiful title. And Matthew 12, chapter 1, verse 22 says, And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Matthew is writing to people who know their history and their prophecies. So he, he keeps guiding them through the truth of God's word, that, that God made promises, and through Jesus, God was fulfilling each and every one of those promises. Notice, God was not just fulfilling promises out of thin air for the sake of fulfilling promises. God was fulfilling promises to us. How God is good to us. How God is good to you. That we were lost in our sins and apart from his grace, there would be absolutely no way, no way that we could stand before him, that we could find our way back to him. So God, in his goodness to us, makes a way for us to find a way back to him. The only way is through Jesus Christ. And it may be that men had forgotten all the promises God had made. After all, it was over 600 or 700 years between when the promises were made. But God never forgets. Man may forget, but God doesn't. He remembers and keeps every single promise. The promise was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And just as the prophetic scriptures promised, God kept his promise and brought Jesus to us. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Let us take a moment to meditate upon the meaning of the name Emmanuel, that title that the angel says that Jesus will have. See, it actually says God with us. We see how low God bent down to save man. Philippians chapter 2 verse 6 reminds us who, though he was in the form of God, speaking about Jesus, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. We must be reminded and we must remind ourselves that Jesus did not begin his existence in the manger at Bethlehem. He was God before the manger. He was God at the, Calvary, at the cross at Calvary and he is God right now. He remains eternally God even as we speak. Make no mistake, the king we talk of, this king we talk of is not only the heir of the throne of David, he is also the king of kings, he is God. And Jesus was willing to let go of some of the privilege of being God to become man, yet did not sin. He added the nature of one of his own creations, man, to himself, to his own divine nature, accepting the weaknesses and the frailties and the dependencies that came with being man, yet he did not sin. It shows us. What a great miracle it was that God could earn human nature to his own and still remain God. It shows us and it reminds us that we can come to him if 
Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, he says his name is Emmanuel and his title is Emmanuel, God with us, then it reminds us that Jesus is God with us and not only that, it means that if he could come to us, then surely we can go to him. May you know this and know it well. You do not need a pastor, you do not need an intercessor, you do not need a priest, you do not need anyone to introduce you to Jesus. You can go to him boldly, no matter how broken you are, whether you want to do it here or you want to do it at home. You can go to him because if he is God with us, then surely you can go to him confidently because he has already bridged the gap for you. Allow me to recap the whole of chapter 1 in a few short reminders that Matthew brings to light. And this is true of the testimony of Jesus as well. The scriptures tell us that the Messiah must be uh, the woman's seed. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. And Jesus was. It tells us that he must be of the lineage of Abraham. And Jesus was. It tells us that he must come from the tribe of Judah. Genesis 49. And Jesus was. It tells us that he must be of the house of David. And Jesus was. It tells us that he must be born in Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5. And Jesus was. And on top of all that we see that he must be born of a virgin. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 4. And Jesus was born of a virgin in fulfillment of all the scriptures. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means it's easy. It's easy for us to say, Emmanuel, God with us. But can you actually today Say with confidence, the king's title is also Emmanuel, God with me. Let us pray. Dear Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity we have. That because of what Jesus has done, we can boldly come to you. Our sin, our shame notwithstanding. Because of what Jesus has done, we can boldly come before you and, and not only ask for forgiveness, but receive the free gift of eternal life. It's a good reminder that you have paid the ultimate price for us. And you are a king with a throne and your throne is eternal. That you are a king with a work and your work is accomplished on the cross. And you are a king with a title. And that title reminds us that you are God with us. And because you have kept every other promise, this one too you shall keep. You will always be with us. May we take comfort in knowing that you'll never leave us nor forsake us. For your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.